Good morning, church. And good morning to those of you that are online streaming with us. Uh, Those of you that were on Facebook, Facebook Live is not working this morning, so uh, I won't greet you on Facebook because you're not there. Uh, But we're really glad that those of you that could be here in person are here this morning. It's a blessing to be together. Uh, We love these kids. Um, We love this, this class of 2020. Uh, most of these seniors went on spring break, started the spring break of their senior year, anticipating coming back into the, the last, the, the apex, the part of school where it's just kind of fun. The grades are basically done, and they, they just never got to come back. And I think of, of all of the kind of seasons of life to miss out on this, this group of young men and women, uh, that they've got a big void there. So we love them. Uh, I've got a daughter and a bonus son, uh, Sarah Kate and Marona, who are in this class, Kip's daughter, Casey. And as I said in early service, uh, our, our kids keep getting older, but Kip and I, we never change. Ageless. Ageless. I don't know if the camera can get my gray or your gray, but we've got, we've got the gray. But completion is, a, is kind of a big deal. Getting to a point like today is for our seniors, and we had a beautiful drive-through reception. A lot of you came through and gave some cards. It was really sweet. Thank you for doing that. But, but getting to an end point really is a big deal, uh, whether it's a high school senior or maybe you're expecting a child or whatever the case, whatever the milestone is, you're, you're trying to get to a point of being done. And when you get done, there's joy to be had. One of the things that when I most think of, uh, when I think of the time in my life when we were most yearning for completion, uh, we, Stacy and I had a house built. You know, a lot of people say, well, we built a house. Well, very few people actually built their house when they say we're building a house. So somebody was nice enough that we paid them and they built us a house and it was only supposed to take three to six months. Uh, and during that time, Stacy and I, and at that time, our four children were living in a house. It was about 800 square feet, uh, two bedrooms, um, two baths, no doorknobs. It's a long story. And it, in, 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 and of, in and of itself, was not quite finished. But we were really ready, really ready to have the house just a couple blocks over in our neighborhood in Binghampton to get done. And so just a mere 13 months later, we were able to move into that house. And there was joy there was great joy. We celebrated and we were so excited because what we had been waiting for had finally come to pass. And that's kind of, I think, the feel of what I want us to to kind of dive into the word with today. We're in Philippians 2, and I'm just going to spend a few minutes because I think a lot of what the seniors who were recorded in this said is a lot of our sermon material today. But in Philippians 2, uh, Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and he's, he's telling them that he wants something to be complete. And when that completion comes, his joy will be full. And so in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we just ended at the end of 1, Paul's charge. He's telling the Philippians, this is what I, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, he walks through what living a life worthy of the gospel you have received really looks like. And he starts with this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And we'll go on in just a minute, but I want to pause there. Make my joy complete. And this is not really one of those questions. It's an open-ended question. Paul is not saying, if you've, if you've received encouragement from being united with Christ, then I want you to do this stuff. He, he's really saying, since you've received encouragement from being united with Christ, since you've received comfort from His love, since you've received fellowship from His Spirit, since you have, you have been the recipient of tenderness and of compassion, because of that, this is what I want you to do. And, and the beautiful thing is, uh, when I was reading this, this really hit me in a, in a deep place because I, I guess I'm extra sensitive, ultra sen- sensitive to community right now. And I yearn for it. I long for it. And I, I, I want it to be what it was. Uh, although I'm grateful for what it is still, it's just not, it, it's not what it was. And I started thinking about the church, and I just started thinking about and started making lists in my mind of ways I've been encouraged, comforted, received tenderness, compassion, and fellowship because of being a part of God's family. And I got teary-eyed in my office just going into this passage because these first few verses are usually not the verses in Philippians 2 that I spend a lot of time on, but I just was overwhelmed thinking, the community of Christ, the family of God, I don't know how I'd get along without it. And some people may look at that and they may say, you know, religion is a crutch or you're weak because you have to rely on other people. I would say crutch is not strong enough a term. I would say the church and this community is life. That I, I, I don't know how to get out of bed in the morning without God and without his family encouraging me, comforting me, sharing life experience, giving me tenderness and compassion. So I've experienced this, and I I hope you have too, and it is a privilege, it is a privilege to be the recipients of all of this, this, these beautiful attributes that Paul's talking about. I didn't deserve all the things I've received from being part of the family of God. I sure didn't earn the things I received from being part of the family of God the life that I've been called to live. It was given to me my amazing grace. And none of you deserve it. And none of you earned it. So we're all coming from a place of deep honor and deep privilege where we have been given what we don't deserve. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with what's been given to us freely? And this is where it gets dangerous because it's Paul and Jesus. And Paul goes on and he says, this is what's going to make my joy complete. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing, verse 3, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So Paul says, how dare you take the privilege you've been given and keep it to yourself or to think about yourself or to say, I'm more important than other people around me. That's contrary 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also kind of contrary to just the competitive nature of our world and society, the way we've, we've, we've settled, the way we live life. It's, we, we always want to be me first. And Christ is always you first. And so <clears throat> Paul is living this out because he's writing the Philippians this letter from, from jail. And he says, what will make my joy complete is if you guys think about others first. If I ever, uh, hopefully won't, but if I'm ever locked up and you receive a letter from me and I tell you what is going to make me joyful, it's, it's going to be to get out. <laughs> Hashtag free hinkle. That's what it's going to be, okay? I, I want out of jail. That's going to make me very joyful. <laughs> but Paul is in jail and he says, what will make my joy complete is seeing you look to the needs of each other before you look to your own needs. And so Paul is living that out. Can you imagine how transformative people living to meet the needs of others first would be? You say, well, how far does this go? Uh, you know, if you read the rest of this chapter, or verses 5 through 11, Paul takes it all the way, doesn't he? Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, or something to be held on to. But instead, he gave that up. He emptied himself. He, he took on the nature of a servant. And so Jesus had it all, and he chose to give it up, not so it would be a good story, but for others. And that, that's how we're supposed to live. And that he, be, he was found in appearance as a man, and he became obedient, even obedient, humble and obedient, even obedient to death. And so Jesus <clears throat> takes it all the way, and Paul writes about it in this Christological hymn or poem here in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He says, this is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel you've received that you didn't earn, you don't deserve, but you got it. So share your life and live for others first. How transformative would that be? And I was just thinking about the world in which we live, and I started imagining, um, kind of taking this to an extreme, and I was thinking, what, what if we had a presidential debate, and we have Donald Trump on one side, and we have Joe Biden on the other side, and the moderator uh, says, well, uh, President Trump, we'd like to start with you. Would you please tell us your opinion uh, or how you feel about health care reform? And President Trump says, it's a great question, uh, but I'm just, I've said a lot about this. I'm just, I'd like to hear what my opponent has to say first. You go ahead and take my turn. And then Joe Biden says, oh, wow, it's really gracious of you. But no, no, no. I'd really like to hear from you first. I mean, that would be awesome. The noise from jaws dropping around the world would be incredible, right? And that's not a political statement. That's just, that's crazy, right? Because Jesus is crazy and he takes us to places that just, they, they, they kind of gum up the works of how things work in this world. So putting others first and having a group of people that live for each other first is transformative. And I'm not pointing fingers at Joe Biden or Donald Trump. 
Uh, first, I know I need to check myself in the mirror. Um, in my marriage, the one obstacle that has continuously gotten in the way of Stacy and I having an even better marriage than we have, it's been my selfishness. It's been me thinking about me first. I still remember back, uh, it was probably been 20 years, uh, I started doing full-time youth ministry in August of 1995, so it's been 20 years, uh, or 25 years this month, and I remember a couple years into my first years of youth ministry, we had a couple kids, and uh, life was busy, and Stacy was a, a full partner with me in ministry, and so whatever we were going to do in youth ministry affected her and our family. And I remember I was so pleased with myself. I came home, and we had this year-long calendar, and it was already printed, and it was multicolor, and the dates were all set. And I handed this to Stacy, thinking she was going to be so proud of me. And she was like, well, it would have been nice for you have to talk, for you to have spoken to me about this before you put it in print. And I was like, ah. So that, that's just one example of a whole lot of examples she could lay out before you. But selfishness has, and that's kind of silly, but it's also real. And in my relationship with my kids, the number one obstacle I've had to having a deeper relationship with my children has been my selfishness. Most of the time I, I think it's their selfishness, but when I really get down to it, it's, it's me thinking things kind of have to be my way. I've gotten into the Enneagram the last couple years. I don't know if you have or not. Uh, quick, quick show of hands for those who are here in person. If, if you know what the Enneagram is and you know what number you are, just raise your hand real quickly. I'm just curious. All right, we got about more people that are 8.30 <clears throat> at least admitted they know what they are on the Enneagram than the 11 o'clock. But I'm a one. And so a one on the Enneagram is a perfectionist. So I'm the guy that kind of minds all the details. And to me, details are important. And so one detail that's always been important to me that it, for some reason is not important to my children is cleaning their room. And I have gotten into so many arguments with them about cleaning their room. And unfortunately, and I've realized this, honestly, I know it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, uh, which I am a little bit, but honestly, I've sometimes gotten after them more for not cleaning the room up when really they're living their life in great ways for Jesus and for others. But I'm harping on this because I'm being selfish. I'm seeing the world through my lens. And in my world, clean rooms mean you love Jesus, but not in their worlds, right? <laughs> Also in my ministry, man, I, I think the times that I have had the greatest challenge in connecting to people or leading people in ministry has been when I've been selfish and I've thought, I've figured out the way to do this and people need to get on board and come with me. So I'm not coming to you as a guy who's got this figured out. I stand here as a selfish child of God who's received encouragement comfort, fellowship, tenderness, and compassion, and I need to make Paul's joy complete by living more for others than myself. But I'm working on it, and I think that's what this passage is about. If you flip over um, to Philippians 2, 13 and 14, you'll see Paul, after he talks about the story of Jesus um, 
in verses, I'm sorry, verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That verse was always confusing to me as a child because I thought it meant cower before God and hope you don't go to hell. That's, that's not at all what's going on in this passage. We've already spent the beginning of this chapter realizing we don't deserve or earn our salvation. But then Paul is saying, if you're going to, remember, go back to the end of chapter one, if you're going to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, and it's going to mean that you have the attitude of Christ where you think of others more than yourself, then working out your salvation means I'm going to go deeper into thinking of others first. I'm going to be more selfless. I'm going to be less selfish. That's what it means to go deeper into my salvation. So it's not the difference between saved or unsaved. It's just how far, how deep into the identity of Jesus Christ, his disciples, can we go? And, and that's what Paul is saying here. How much deeper can we follow Jesus in saying, you first, not me. Your way, not mine. I'll defer. And one, one quick disclaimer before I wrap up. If you're on the Enneagram, if you're a two, you're the helper. And twos are awesome. I, I'm married to one. I also have a child that's a two. But sometimes twos think the word no is a four-letter word that they cannot speak. But it's, it's two. You can say it. And if somebody is, some of us are wired in a way to be codependent or to uh, somehow, even if we're in an abusive or an oppressive relationship, to not set healthy boundaries. That's not what I'm talking about when I say put others first. I'm not saying if you found yourself in a situation that you need to get out of or you need to put an immediate stop to, I'm not saying just tough it out. That, that's not what Paul is saying here. But... <clears throat> in the general realm of boundaries and healthy boundaries and living life in community, think of somebody else first, not yourself. So three takeaways. If this passage has its way with us, I think number one, humility must become our default response. If this passage is going to take root in us, humility has to become our default response. If if humility is, is where we're living, where we're sitting, where we're staying and breathing, we're offended less. We take ourselves less seriously. We act like we've still got a lot to learn because we do, in fact, have a lot left to learn. Secondly, there's no point when we finally arrived if this passage has its way with us. There's no point. Unless you've humbled yourself all the way to the point of the cross, you have not yet arrived. So unless your name is Jesus, there's still more you can give up. There's things you can sacrifice. There's people you can help that you haven't helped yet. We're all passengers on this unselfish train, and there is no final destination. And then the last thing is, if this passage has its way with me, with us, then your way is greater than my way. Your way is greater than my way. Man, that is hard to say, because I know some of y'all's ways, and they're crazy. 
But in humility and in this passage, your way is greater than my way. So we don't have to do things our way. In fact, we recognize the value in not getting our way and know that choosing to be led by others forms us into more fully saved, redeemed, restored people. The beauty of it is if we're doing this in reciprocation with each other, if we're doing this in community, think about the, the, the beauty of that kind of community where I look at my brother Daryl right here and I say, Daryl, your way is, I'm going to go with your way instead of my way. And Daryl looks back at me and says, no, Jim, I'm, I'm going to go your way instead of my way. Eventually, we got to do something, right? So I know, but that's, but that's how we work through things in humility because we're saying others first, self second. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way he lived his life, and that's the way he died his death. And so that's what we're called to do as well. That leads us to the cross. There's a picture of the cross on the screen behind me. This passage is about Jesus eventually choosing his Father's way over the way he wanted, which I'm not sure exactly what that would have looked like, but it wasn't a gruesome, painful death on the cross, according to the Gospels. And so Jesus comes to us today, and he gives us the bread, and he gives us the cup in communion, and he says, none of us, none of you have a a right to be at this table except because of my body and my blood, and because of that, all of you get a seat at the table, and there's no child's table at this one, no table off in the corner, everybody's welcome everybody's at the head table, everybody counts because of what I've done in you and for you. So as we take the bread and the cup this morning, let's bow and let's pray together. God, whether uh, we're in this room or we're in a living room uh, or wherever we are, we're listening to these words, you are omnipresent. Uh, You are just as present in a living room or on a front porch as you are in this sanctuary. And God, where you are is where I want to be. In hard places and places of sacrifice, places of unselfishness. I know that's where life is found. When we lose it, we're found. And so remind us through your body and through your blood of the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and how it can make us into a people who can live lives worthy of the calling that we've received. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup.